Hi friends, welcome back to Sand and Gray Matter, a podcast I created in order to discuss the ways that traumatization can hide itself inside your gray matter, like a sand inside an oyster, and your brain will protect you from remembering that. Unfortunately, as adults, we realize that we have to dig it out, shake the rug out, and see what it's all about. So trigger warning, we're going to talk about consent, passion, and childhood imprinting. Did you know that as children or babies or humans, the first time that you react to a situation, you react a certain way, and then the second time you are faced with that same situation again, it is literally easier for your brain to follow the same path of reaction as the first time. The third time the same thing happens, it is easier, that much easier for your brain to follow that same pattern of thinking. So think of a huge field of snow up to your knees, but there's a path. What's going to be easier? Are you going to make your own path in that knee-deep snow or are you going to walk along the path? So that's what your brain does. Pretty clear to see that we need to be a bit more careful with our children and ourselves and make those first experiences good ones and make them and our reaction to those experiences um, managed or, you know, we need to mitigate risk in some way. So I think about a lot of the things that happen um, to babies or to kids and it reminds me of what I used to do with my dog and my cat and my horse. So when one of my dogs and when my horse was born, I imprinted them, meaning I did everything to them that I would ever have to do in the future. So like the horse, I put a metal bit in his mouth. I held his feet for a long time. I, you know, rubbed up his ears, everything. Put my hands on every inch of that horse. Same with the dog. I did the same thing. And that was wonderful. And they became mine because that was my hand that imprinted on them. So I think about children now. And I think about how many hands touch them. And I know daycare is not an uh, not something that is optional if we're going to actually make ends meet. I know that. Doesn't mean we can't be aware of it, right? So I remember when I was in my mid-20s, I babysat a boy for a period of time. And he was eight months, six or eight months old when I started And it was amazing to me how quickly he became accustomed to me. Uh, For instance, it was only 
probably day four of me you know when I would change his diaper and he would try to kick his legs around or he would try to squirm roll over and squirm away it was only by day three or four that he was st sitting still because I asked him to and then when he did I praised him you know it only took a very short time for him to realize that if he sat still he would get praise and eye contact and you know uh, adoration uh, another thing when I would bottle feed him it was only by probably day three no it was probably about a week and a half where no matter what time of day it was and no matter if he was tired or not if I would rub his belly a certain way and I think it was you know like clockwise and quite firm you know like a, a nice steady circular rub only took I remember one day I counted 15 circular motions and he was asleep further to that on day four of me babysitting him I remember some Jehovah's Witness came to the door and he ran to me like I was his mama bear so babies and our brains we're really really um, moldable and trainable and that's amazing and that's scary and that just leads me to see so much more than I ever saw before that we all have to be so careful about the hands that touch the children you know whether they are loving or whether they are familiar or whether they are strangers because when you give the child to the stranger it doesn't take long for the child to realize that it doesn't that he or she doesn't have any say in the matter as a baby they very quickly realize that they don't have a say in the matter and there's lots of different ways to raise children now you know there are people ch raising children genderless and there are other people who think that is crazy I know that there's a certain way of raising your kids where you tell them or you ask them before you do anything you know like so um, Joey I'm gonna take your pants off and we're going to change your diaper I'm taking your diaper off you know and so there are other people who would completely pshaw at that and think that's ridiculous but here's the flip side of that <coughs> pardon me um, in June my dad passed and he spent 36 hours in ICU before he passed he was in uh, he was unconscious for that whole time but when the nursing and staff and the doctors came in and did anything to him they told him that they were doing it and I remember the one head nurse he was so amazing sorry he would say okay buddy I'm gonna change your tubes now okay I just loved that oh I'm sorry anyways um so everything that they did to this 77 year old man who wasn't even conscious they would tell him they were doing it they would somewhat ask permission so if we can if the medical industry can enact that rule for in Canada in the ICU with adults why can't we do that to children and why is it seen as 
pshaw or ridiculous. Hmm? Do you see that? Oh, the children. Someday we're going to realize exactly what they know. And I don't know that it's going to be a good thing to realize that they are aware of so many things. So, consent. The child that is touched by a million different hands doesn't even realize that he or she can say, no, don't touch me later in life. And that is where all a lot of the trauma exists and is started, is begun, is in that time where things happen and once again, you don't know when it's happening that that's what's happening. There's no voice to tell you you're being traumatized right now, <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, it sure would be helpful. But that doesn't exist, so... If you don't know enough that you have control and ownership of your body, then you're not going to demand it. And so when we, we look to adulthood and we think of consent, and it's such a big deal right now. And yet the word consent is still somewhat stigmatized now, marginalized somewhat, and like sterile. I think that if we normalize consent before passion, we can sex it up a bit if you want to. We can sweeten it up a bit if we want to. We can humor it up a bit, you know? Here's some suggestions. Uh, here we go. Where we go here? Um, how about just may I? That's cute. Is this okay? I like that. Uh, even when you're discussing having the passionate moment, we can stop whenever you want. Just like that cup of tea. If you take a sip of tea and you realize you don't want that tea, you don't have to drink the whole cup of tea. That's what consent is in every single step and every single base. First base, second base, third base, home run. At any time in that game, you can say no. And that's what consent is. And that is sexy, powerful I don't know, I think that we need to normalize that because there is power there. And over the last little while of me remembering all of these events, I haven't really felt that passion very much, you know? And so it's uh, something that I'm personally going to work on soon, <laughs> if not already, by discussing all of these things, but you know, sex is a big deal sex is a big deal the the release of of chemicals that your brain experiences when you orgasm or when you hug someone when you are in that embrace with somebody that you trust and love and feel camaraderie to it's it's a powerful thing and yet there are so many of us who are not really able to feel that anymore for me i think that the trauma is blocking my brain's ability to let myself open up that way again. And I'm being totally honest here, you know, um, I don't feel the passion anymore. Um, and that's a bit of a bummer, you know. 
But when we think about the passion, I think that too many of us, myself included when I was younger, too many of us are stuck in like the Hollywood sex scene or the passion that you see, you know, Top Gun, that passionate love scene. I remember blushing <laughs> when my best friend Dina and I saw Top Gun at the movie. I don't even think we were old enough, but we got in somehow and we were blushing during that sex scene. It was something else was consent given was it implied you never know because hollywood isn't about that and so what that does i think to people in the developmental stages of you know feeling the sexual urges and then getting trying to learn how it is that a person goes about doing this we're not training our girls and boys very well about consent when we're just showing these passionate moments on television and movies without the discussion beforehand consent must precede passion all the time precede passion consent comes first always and so I don't, you know, I don't always think it's nefarious. I think it is developmental and society is not preparing people for autonomy and respecting autonomy, demanding autonomy on both sides of, of the scale there. And I'm talking about youth and I'm talking about adults as well. Consent is a huge thing. So we have to normalize consent in order to truly embrace our bodies and to embrace the fact that I can wear whatever the hell I want. In Ontario, we can go topless, by the way, and know that my body is mine and that you don't have a right to touch it. And yet, women are still asked what they were wearing when they report to police stations. So we're not there yet, and yet we're seeing certain individuals who have the protective barrier around them put themselves out there, and it makes the rest of us think that we can too, and I worry that we're not there yet. And discussing everything is important, in my opinion. So back to the neurons and the pathways you know how the, they say that, you know, we all have our mental issues and we all have our traumas. But it probably doesn't have to be that way. And it's funny, you know, you, you look back at certain cultures or certain ways in the past of how children were reared, reared, how do you say that? You know, the, the, um, Arctic wolf pack represents humankind or at least how it used to be possibly the best or one of the best ways in all species in the world because grandparents end up staying at home babysitting the cubs and the pups while the adults and the aunts and uncles go out hunting you know, so when we think about that, it used to be where family members used to take care of the children more than strangers. And I know I'm not saying that we have to go back to that, but we can still acknowledge. And 
I dare say, create better best practices for when we introduce babies and children to new caregivers. Where we go through the consent and we get the child's acknowledgement. And I'm sure there are some people who are going to listen to this and think it is just ridiculous because we all were raised however we were and we all made out fine. Really? Really? Depression is one of the most diagnosed illnesses and antidepressants are one of the most prescribed pills. Really? You think we're okay? Because I don't think we're okay. And the older I get, I expected things to get easier, but they're not. And I remember being in elementary school and I ran in from recess to go to the bathroom because some kids were teasing me about being chubby. And I remember thinking, I can't wait to be an adult. I can't wait to be an adult. I can't wait to be an adult. And man, would I ever like to be a kid and just put some friggin' headphones on at recess. <laughs> you know, put some shades, some earbuds in and not pay attention to any of the other jerks. But now that I'm an adult, it's very difficult to do that, isn't it? To just completely um, isolate from society is not. Hey, I tried. I did try. And for those people that know me and have known me my whole life, they, they can say, oh yeah, yep, I did disappear for a couple years there. And what I learned is that that doesn't work either. If you want to be part of the pack, you have to put yourself out there and you have to go through the tearing down of the pavement in order to repave it and make it stronger the next time. And so that's what I'm doing with these podcasts and with these um, sharing these experiences. And the thing is this, friends, I wanted to share like one story with you the one story that I thought was my one major experience with trauma as a child. And yet, now that I have opened up this tiny little light hole, like if I can try to make a visualization for you, I feel like all my little traumas are in a cave deep down in the middle of my brainstem. And this podcast is like a little hole and there's light shining in. And so my traumas are following the light and they're coming out. And I didn't, there's an experience that I shared in a previous podcast that I didn't even see as rape. And yet it was, was definitely that. So I really am confident that once all of those little traumas follow the light and get out into the light of day, I will effectively see them for what they are. And then I will see me for my role in it. And then I will forgive me for my role in it. And I will realize that I was innocent always. And you know, the thing is, is that for a lot of us, we have childhood traumas and they might involve 
siblings or parents or loved ones or family members and they did nothing wrong. You know? They were just surviving too. So, discussing these things, we, we cannot ignore the fact that we all have traumas and we cannot ignore the fact that we are all having trouble turning our frown upside down and so this is just my little way of helping myself so I'm being a little bit selfish here frankly because I think that we all have to be a little bit selfish own our autonomy demand consent and I'm welcoming you to do the same so if you have stories that you would like to share, because, you know, hearing other people's experiences, this, there's one friend of mine, she shared an experience recently, and that was why I started this podcast, because of her experience, because I never thought that she had experienced something like that, and then knowing it just angered me so much that I had to just get open this thing up, you know? Um, so in order to share your story to help others or to just get it out and help yourself, you just have to go on to Anchor, make an account, which is pretty easy, and then you favorite or like my this podcast, Sand in Gray Matter. And then we set up a time and I uh, log on and I invite you and you can tell your story. And if you want me to disguise your voice, I'm looking into that technology as well. Because, you know, hearing genuine experiences, it doesn't matter who it is that's telling the story. You know that it's a human that's telling this story and those words and those actions and the the, the way hearing other people's stories tells you or makes you feel that that is therapy. And you know, it's weird saying that. How could knowing that someone else has trauma, how could that help you? And how could that help me? Because we blame ourselves for our traumas. And we cannot do that anymore. Okay? It was never my fault and it was never your fault and we have to forgive ourselves and sometimes those other people that are involved in order to move on and that's what sand and gray matter is all about so I thank you for for uh, listening I thank you for your camaraderie and your friendship and I believe that in the end a million voices sharing their stories can only heal the wounds that we all have. Thank you, friends. Cheers.